rise for their majesties of Royally Obsessed, the podcast for all things royals. Three cheers for His Majesty the King. Welcome back to another episode of Royally Obsessed. I'm Roberta. And I'm Rachel. And I feel like you can hear it in my voice, but I am so excited to talk to you today about all the royal news that's going on. First, before we get into anything, a few housekeeping reminders. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. Also email us info at gallerypodcast.com. We have a hilarious listener email today. Rachel, it was so, so nice to see you last week in New York City. Oh, my gosh. I know, Roberta. When the stars align like that, it's just so nice. I feel like it was – it's also just good to – like, I always feel like the cadence of going into the office is so special, too. When I Like, know. when you come in from Philly and everything like that, it's always great. And we had, like, a trendy dinner. Like, the Cafe Chelsea is such a lovely space. And if anyone's in New York, you should check it out because the ravioli oh. – Yes, I'm and the French fries. <laughs> the French fries were delicious too. Oh my gosh. But we did not. The endive salad was like a miss for us, right? Maybe because the fries and the ravioli were just too good. The that... salad can never shine when the when it's yeah. challenged by <laughs> ravioli. Good point. Good point. All right. What are we talking about with regards to the royals today? All right. Well, it's still a little bit of a lull, but we are very thrilled to welcome Charlie Thomas to the podcast. He is the UK group director of Iconic Collections for Bonhams. This is the auction house that's leading the crown auction. I'd still like to bid on that sweater that she wore, the actor wore at Balmoral, that pink one. But was that Emma Corrin? Emma Corrin. But so many fun lots to look at for sure. And that auction is coming up next week, which is crazy. Also, we have an update on Kate and the King's health. We have more news about the BBC and Panorama, a flashback to a scary moment for a then Prince Charles and a cute cape coat that I definitely want to talk about. And now it's time for the weekly royal cocktail. Well, first, to get through all that, we have our royal refreshment. This week, it's just a cup of tea. I'm sipping out of my Emma Bridgewater Union oh, Jack mug, which such I really love. Such a pretty mug. Oh, my gosh. I feel like this is the ultimate recovery for Kate and Charles. So hopefully they're sipping some hot tea and recovering at home because they were discharged from the hospital. I want to know if any listeners did dry January and how they're feeling. My brother and sister-in-law did Whole30 for the first time, and they're so excited to have a glass of wine. So I did not do it. You didn't do it either, did you? No, I didn't. We had drinks last week. I didn't. But I do feel like, can I just ask, I feel like not drinking for longer than January is a huge trend for younger generations. Is that correct? I was in line at a restaurant this past weekend. Not in line, but just waiting to get inside. And there was a bit of a line in Brooklyn. It was kind of a trendier spot, I guess, again. Tell us the name. Blow up its spot. No, Red Hook Tavern. That's what surprised me. It was like very out of the way, but it was a great, you know, really great spot. And the people that I was in line behind were young and they were talking about how none of them drink anymore. And I was like, wow, this really is kind of popular as an idea for, for, um, many people to kind of take on and prioritize their health. That's what they were talking about is how great they feel. So yeah. And the non and low ABV like drink trend is so still going so strong in mocktails and everything. I just cannot do it. I'm like, I can't do it. (laughs) I I love my glass of red. I know too much, but I know I did want to have a quick catch up before we jump into all the Royal news this week. So, okay. I have my royal theme Christmas gifts here. First, the hat oh that gosh. Matt made, which is so comfortable. That pink hat that Rachel talked about last week. And it has the Royally Obsessed logo. I love it so much. It's like a very high quality hat brand. I actually feel like I should shout out. It's Legacy. 
Roberta looks so good in it. This is my Christmas gift from my husband that he had the label made via a vendor on Etsy that uses our Royally Obsessed podcast art. And it's really chic and cute. I feel like this needs to be a separate merch line. (laughs) Well, I also got some other royal gifts for Christmas that I wanted to show you. So one was my um, from my brother and sister-in-law got me the 25th anniversary edition of Diana Her True Story by Andrew Morton. But it has pictures in it as well. And I'm holding it up to the camera. It's a really young Diana in overalls with a sweater tied around her neck. Like some of these pictures I've never seen before of like her on a diving board jumping backwards. So it was really cool to see those. And I'm excited to reread it. And then also, (gasps) who gave you Joe Malone? My mom, Joe Malone, Wild Bluebell. I know. I'm so, so excited. I haven't even opened it. It's still taped shut. I haven't even opened it yet. Um, I have the hand cream here too, which I've been using. I know. I know. I think that's one of, it's either Megan or Kate's favorite. I know they both like Joe Malone, but I think Kate might be the orange blossom. But anyways, tangent. Sorry, just had to show off some Christmas gifts that I wanted you to see. (laughs) I feel like we're entering another gift giving season, which is Valentine's. And that's right around the corner. And I'm so stressed about like making sure I order Valentine's in time for my son. It's like I want him to make homemade ones. But I also feel like you have to. I don't know. I think he's much more like a character, though. He's like, I want Spidey Valentine's and stuff like that. So, all right. Should we move on to our listener email here? All right. We got this great note from Gigi in Toronto in reference to a discussion that we had last week about Jesse Green's recent New York Times piece called Leave the Poor Princess Alone, which if you haven't checked it out, you should go read it. So Gigi writes, I loved your thoughts on last week's episode about letting Diana rest in peace from a production and consumer perspective. How she is portrayed all over the place in so many different mediums is strange, but the obsession is not lost on me personally. If you know the what's your Roman empire TikTok trend, then you'll have seen that for some women, their Roman empire is Diana. And I totally agree. I was too young to remember her death, but even I am obsessed with her looks, her advocacy, and the general vibe that she gave through her fashion and influence. I think all the time what she would have accomplished and how she would have reshaped how we view the royal family now. I think the commoditization of her and her spirit is wrong, but her presence will never not be everywhere. I'm including this because it was so kind. Love, love, love you both and your cocktails. Sorry, we're having tea today. (laughs) I know, From Gigi. And she adds, P.S., please come to Toronto. We can do a meetup, which I wanted to throw it out there. Where are our Toronto Roros? Should we do this? I feel like I have Toronto on my list to get to this year, actually. I know you've talked about that, and I, can I tag along? (laughs) Yes, I I mean, clearly we have a Roro community. I also want, should we explain, is this just me being like, (laughs) I don't know, an older millennial being like, should we explain the what's your Roman Empire trend? Because I will admit that I was in a meeting where it was like a Zoom session at work. And I don't know if you remember this, but people were just waiting for, I don't know, someone to log in and the meeting hadn't started. And I think as a filler, someone wrote in the comments, so the Roman, Roman Empire. And I was just in a, I really was like, oh, I guess we're just talking about the Roman Empire. I didn't know at that point that it was a trend. But now I do. And I feel like we should explain that it's this idea that men think about the Roman Empire constantly. And women on TikTok were challenged to ask the males in their life how often they think about it. And the results were just kind of amazing because apparently it's quite frequently, correct? I just My- like that they're candidness in answering the question. They're like, um, every three days. Or like, yes. You know, like that's so serious. Like it's so or serious. once a month. I think Dave said like once every like three months or something. And I was like, okay, that's kind of still a lot though. Yeah. And I think one of my favorite TikToks was people being like, 
pretty much daily, like yeah. all the time. It's just always on my brain. And I'm like, wow. But so is Diana our Roman Empire? This is such a great point, Gigi. It's so true. Are the royals in general our Roman Empire? I also am on this like skincare makeup kick. So that's also my Roman Empire right now. It's constantly changing. Shopping is another one. That's a big one. Yeah. Great note, Gigi. Thank you for writing in. Yes, thank you. We'll hopefully plan a visit to Toronto soon. We'll keep you all posted. Now, this this week in royal history. All right, this week in royal history. A little bit of a downer this week. So January 26, 1994 was the day that then Prince Charles was shot at. Kind of weirdly, this was the 30th anniversary of the shooter incident, the day that King Charles checked into the London clinic for his prostate surgery. The shooting incident, I'm not going to say assassination attempt. It was a starter pistol that was used. Obviously, this doesn't excuse anything. But the starter pistol is what you fire when you start a race. So Mm -hmm. it can't really handle live rounds. And it was deliberately fired into the air. But let's rewind. So Charles, Prince of Wales, was aged 45 at the time. He was visiting Darling Harbor in Sydney for Australia Day. He was about to present prizes to school children before a crowd of 20,000 when 23-year-old David Kang released the firearm twice, hopped onto the stage. He seemed to trip, but he actually says he fell on purpose to show he wasn't trying to hurt anyone before he was tackled to the ground by, it was like 20 men in suits. But he came within a few feet of the Prince of Wales, which is really kind of scary. I mean, he was the heir to the throne, obviously. And the morbid thought just right away that I had was just William was only 11. He would be next in line to the throne. Diana and Charles had been separated for only a year. It was a really still rocky time for the royals in 1994. A bodyguard later told the papers that Charles was, quote, cool as a cucumber. He was adjusting his cufflinks when this all sort of went down. He stares at Kang, but doesn't really move at all. He's pushed out of the way and then just continues on with his speech a little bit later. So here's a clip of the incident. It happened as Prince Charles was being introduced to the crowd at Darling Harbour. There were two shots. The attacker came within a metre of the prince, the New South Wales Premier, among those who grabbed him. Eyewitnesses say the man is aged in his late 20s and tripped as he rushed on stage. The Australia Day celebration continued afterwards, the prince unhurt, and he made no comment on the incident. The man's being questioned by police. Okay, so Charles really does stay quite calm when you so see this clip. So calm. He doesn't like really even flinch. Unfazed. Totally unfazed. I read the background that there was no police presence in between Charles and the crowd, and that was on purpose for people to get a better view. I think recently they've really rethought a lot about security. We've heard so much about Harry's security woes. I do want to talk about the shooter for a little, not that this obviously excuses any of it, but a little bit of background. So this man, 23-year-old David King, It came out later that he was depressed, but he was also trying to draw attention to Cambodian refugees who arrived in Australia in the 80s and 90s and were immediately sent to detention centers and often were treated harshly in those places and had to undergo a lot. David King's punishment for this was 500 hours of community service. He's actually now a lawyer and has kids. He maintains that he never meant to hurt anyone. He was trying to draw attention to a cause. Interestingly, he's a lawyer, right? Like the legal versus illegal way to kind of help people and get attention. So just wanted to shout out this 
interesting this week in royal history an honorable mention for this week also goes to carol middleton granny carol she'll be 69 today january 31st i didn't realize that was today i'm sure the kids are getting lots of granny carol time with kate kind of on bed rest and i think we've seen some reports that george charlotte and louis love their granny carol and are spending a lot of time in buckleberry in the time being of course of course yes lots of time great segue roberta to this royal health update we Got more news on this front this week, which was a surprise. I kind of didn't expect to hear anything in terms of Kate's progress, and I thought we were going to get that initial statement, and then it was going to be radio silence until Easter. But we did get a post from them, a statement from Kensington Palace that Kate has returned to Windsor and is making good progress on her recovery. She, the, in the statement, they also thanked the London Clinic and those who sent well wishes. And then Kate, right after the statement was released, just a couple hours later, Charles was officially discharged from the London Clinic following his prostate surgery. And I think it was just kind of surprising to see it back to back. You know, Camilla by his side, she was wearing the cape coat that I thought was so stunning on her. These little like glimmers of fashion for her. I think that it was just so surprising to have those announcements come out. Well, we, we had the announcement from Kensington Palace, but then we had the visual of the king and queen exiting just back to back. And that was what we both kind of commented on ahead of recording, just that it wasn't more synchronized. But maybe that was a strategy there. Maybe that was intentional for Charles to come out and be to take the attention off of Kate's news and let her kind of quietly go home because we did not have a visual of Kate leaving. And that was also unique. What did you think? Doesn't it kind of mirror how they released the statements about them going into the hospital? It really does mirror that it was the same day. It was hours apart. It feels like this really is a royal strategy that they just kind of solidified. It deflects from Kate a little bit. It diffuses it. She's not in any photos leaving the clinic, which is a huge you know, contrast to Charles and Camilla waving to reporters, waving to crowds. So, and he looked so strong. King, the king looked so strong. Okay, I have to disagree with you. Oh, on that really? Point. Okay. I, in the videos, I felt like he was kind of walking pretty slowly. He was holding onto the hood of the car. He definitely got into the car pretty slowly. This is so TMI, Rachel, and I'm sorry in advance, but I looked up like a lot of the prostate surgery recovery time and yeah. like what the symptoms could be for and just what you have to do. A lot of people have a catheter still in. Okay. Yep. So, you know, you have to kind of deal with that. There's a lot, you are supposed to not lift any heavy objects. You'll probably need to urinate quite frequently and urgently a lot. So the king needs to protect the crown jewels is all I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> nice pun. Well, I do feel like he is set up for a month of not really any engagements is what they're saying. He'll be working from home with that red box. He'll be kind of down for the count as he is on the mend. It seems like with Charles, it is very, very difficult for him to not work. And so he's going to be doing his best. I'm sure he'll have the opportunity for potentially using Zoom if he does want to carry out any meetings and important work that way. But I think it does kind of draw attention to the ceremony of that very public exit from the London Clinic because it was on the heels of that report in the news that he was needing to stay an extra night. And I wonder mm -hmm. if that was an effort to combat that where both to me, I I didn't look at a lot of the video footage of it. I just saw the visuals, the photos, and I feel like he looked incredibly strong in that moment. And also moved. I feel like he was very moved and touched by all the people. Like his eyes welled up when he was that shot of him with the window kind of half up covering part of his face. It's like, you know, he was 
very happy to see so many people waiting to see how he was. Well, and I think also on the flip side, not seeing a visual of Kate, as you mentioned, you know, William did get flack for lack of visits, but clearly they know how to manage the secrecy, the privacy that they deserve, the Waleses deserve during this time if they choose it. That is an option. I loved that Natasha Archer was pictured, though, at the London Clinic and apparently was readily by Kate's side during this time. And they are friends. I mean, they have had a longstanding relationship. They've worked together for so many years. So I think, you know, I was a little bit curious what Natasha's needs would be in terms Mm -hmm. of visiting Kate if she wasn't having any public facing moments, but maybe just visiting as a friend. I don't know what you thought about that. Yeah. 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 I think that that makes me think their friendship is a lot deeper than I initially realized. Like I thought it was more of a professional working relationship. And obviously this is Kate's longtime stylist, but I do think, you know, that is just it's just wild to me that we had her husband, Chris Jackson, on the pod so many times, I too. Know, I <laughs> because know. the closeness is really there. I mean, she went to the hospital to help Kate, it seems like. The thing with William not visiting a lot, and I know a lot of people were up in arms about that, but I did read that the press were only allowed outside for two days in front of the London Clinic, and that's really to protect other patients' privacy, which is so totally understandable. Think about people walking in and out of the hospital for different things. They don't want photographer, a, you know, a huge group of photographers standing out front. So it just makes sense. It was, I think one of the days was January 16th, which is the day that the Princess of Wales was admitted. And then the other day was January 29th when Charles walked out. So yeah. they were really officially only supposed to be outside of there. You know, we have the car pictures and things like that from paparazzi, but that's different. So, And I also think when you do, if you did have a very public viewpoint of William's constant visits. Like, we just can't really say that he didn't go officially because I think if he was showing up every day and having that car arrival and big display, it would keep the conversation about Kate's health top of mind, front page news every single day. And that's the opposite of what she wanted and likely needs during this time. I was also um, surprised. I think I didn't realize this, that the kids didn't go and see Kate at all during her hospital stay, that they really wanted to maintain normalcy. But it made me think about what a homecoming that must have been for Mm. her to get back to Windsor, because that's such a long gap. I'm sure they probably could FaceTime and things like that. But, you know, to not see your kids for 14 days is pretty intense for a parent and for the so kids intense. to just miss each other. So. Yeah. And I will say, like, speaking from a few months ago experience of staying in the hospital for three nights for when I had dengue fever, like, you are so, so ready to get out at that point. You feel like a human pincushion with all the IV drips and all the antibiotic. And there's so many needles that are going. I was just like, covered in like all these IVs and things like that. And so it just, I can't imagine 14 days. She must be so ready to see the kids and be home and everything. I did want to ask, do you think Charles said hi to Kate in the hospital? Well, yes. I think that they were in reports saying that that's what you read my mind. I was just going to say that gave me such a moment of joy thinking about the king dropping by and seeing Kate. I mean, I hope that they just checked in on each other, but I think it kind of speaks to the relationship that they do have, you know, and and to have that overlap, what what are the odds, right, that you'd be at the same place and be able to, you know, visit visit Kate's hospital bed? It doesn't I don't know how it all went down. But we did also see reports that Charles was working from his hospital bed as soon as his oh, wow. surgery was done. And I, I kind of was hoping like he would be binging a show or like watching Ted Lasso or something like that. But oh, I, Ted Lasso, that's a good one. I was going to say that show Traitors <laughs> that's so popular over there Or right Ghosts. Now. I finally started that at your Ghost, recommendation. the UK version. So the good. The UK version. Yes, for sure. I feel like the his... His humor probably lightened the mood for Kate a little bit. Like he's like, "What are you in for?" or something. You know what I mean? Like, 
you need to points to the Charles. fruit cup and he's like can i have what she's having like yeah, i just yeah, feel yeah. like he brings so much levity and wit and humor to everything so i hope that that was a nice reprieve for kate and there was a conversation too about what the security would entail for him to go and visit her and to kind of move around the hospital freely but it sounds like it was intentional and a priority for him to do so i am also seeing reports that william will be getting back to royal work soon once kate is settled at home and so it made me just you know, wonder about the BAFTAs. Would we see a solo appearance from William? Might not be as glamorous feeling, but William has been stepping up his fashion. So maybe maybe it would be exciting. I don't know. A nice velvet tux. And same with Camilla. I think I just wanted to say credit to her. She's doing engagements every day this week. We've also had Anne and Sophie really stepping up. Chris Jackson chronicling it all. His photos just always stand out for me. When I saw the pictures of Anne at an event this week, I was like, those are Chris Jackson images. But Camilla... Being there when the king exited, you really see she's very much by his side. The love is so real between them and her just kind of support. It's it's uh, nice to see. You know, you have to you have to acknowledge that. It's so nice. I sort of weirdly thought a lot about this because it is kind of a choice on the palace's press team to have Camilla be pictured so often. I heard or I read that she was there every day that he was in hospital versus William not pictured except mm. for once. Like that's a choice. And I wonder if it is something to do with image rehabilitation for her. Like this is reinforcing the love story for them. This is still an uphill battle for them and for the public to accept. And Camilla visiting and by his side every day is kind of a good story to paint for people. Yeah, we didn't have images, but we did get a tidbit that William drove Kate home. But we're just, it's, inter- you're totally right. How they're managing the hospital the part story of all line. this, yeah. the storyline and the differences between them. And it's still going back to that. I can't tell if it's coordinated or totally not coordinated. You know what I mean? With the right. exits and the back Are we overthinking it so Are we much? overthinking it? We really are. We are. <laughs> uh, uh, Anyways, we'll continue, we'll continue to follow, uh, you know, their recovery and hope we get to see them very, very soon more often. Yes, our Roman Empire. We cannot go one day without thinking. Living rent-free in our brains. Yeah. (laughs) And now our interview with Charlie Thomas. Row Rose, today we're joined by Charlie Thomas, the UK group director of Iconic Collections for Bonhams, the auction house that is managing the sale of more than 450 props, gowns, and sets from all six seasons of The Crown. The online auction runs through February 5th, then a live auction will follow and be held in person in London on February 7th. Even cooler, proceeds will go towards scholarships for future filmmakers. Of course, our audience knows we're huge fans of The Crown over here. Charlie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Where are you joining us from? So I'm in a, well, currently I'm in a meeting room at our flagship sale room here in London at 101 New Bond Street, where we've got the exhibition currently on view. So exciting. Well, it's the final days of the auction. You were just mentioning you're getting a little bit nostalgic and sad for the conclusion. (laughs) But what items are getting the most buzz at this point in time? Yes. I mean, gosh, we've been on for a month now. So we we opened the exhibition at the beginning of January. It's, I mean, auctions are huge productions anyway, no matter what type of sale we're doing, whether it's Carla's or Precious Paintings or Omar's Paintings. But this one's been a particularly long process. I mean, we first started talking to Left Bank Pitchers, who make the crown about 14 months ago. And so from that initial conversation to now the week before the sale, it's it, it's been about 14 months. So it's been a, a long process. And yeah, no, like I said, I'm, I'm dreading it sort of ending because it's been so much fun. And the, the exhibition has been so well viewed. And the 
items that I think that have really taken people's breath away is, well, probably the gold state carriage is one of the first things you see when you walk into the building. So we've got all five floors of bottoms here at 101 Newmark Street filled with the treasures from the sale. But the first thing you see when you walk in is the gold state carriage. And it's wow. so big. I think it just takes people's breath away because of the size and just the detail. And I think what this sale has done for so many people, me especially, is it's opened up their eyes to the huge amount of work that goes into a series like The Crown. Because you know, most people, when we watch The Crown, you know, we're, we're so focused on the story, we're fo- so focused on the characters. You see, but you don't look. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you see these amazing sets, these amazing costumes, because you kind of take these things for granted. Yeah. But when you, when you come to the exhibition here at on New Bond Street, and you see just the detail, like the, the costumes, I mean, the hand embroidery that's gone into every single orgal dress or outfit. Everything's done by hand, whether it's the, the sets that have been decorated by the amazing set decorator department led by Alison Harvey, the incredible sets built by Jean de Cruz and his team, or the costumes you know designed by Amy Roberts and her team. I mean, it's, it's an absolute celebration of them, really. So are you seeing any particular items, though, that are kind of leaping to the top? We were blown away that the replica of the funeral procession is included in the auction. I can't imagine bidding on that. That's, some, I think, one of the most important lots in the sale. And for many reasons, and actually it was quite a difficult lot to decide, you know, to put in or how to put in. Because it is it is huge. It's absolutely huge. It takes the entire length of our sale road. And there's over 500 soldiers, you know, little model soldiers. But I just felt that historically it's really important because it is an exact replica of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II's funeral. Yeah. Because it was built after the funeral. And it was a brainchild of Stephen Daldry, who's just the most incredible director. And that amazing scene when Amelda Staunton walks into the double cube room at Wilton House, which is where they did a lot of the scenes for Bucky Palace, and she comes face to face with her funeral. It's so moving. And I just thought historically it's really important, but also the work that went into that model. When Stephen Daldry came up with the idea, I think they had, you know, they had a couple of weeks until filming was due to begin. And so they enlisted the help of the National Film and Television School, who, of mm. course, are going to be the beneficiaries of the live auction. Wow. And they have an amazing model-making department. Really? The process behind it was incredible. So first of all, they bought all the models they could from a company called Britain's. Now, Britain's make these little toy soldiers, which everyone in this country and probably further afield grew up with. And I, I've got my... You know, little toy soldiers um, <laughs> made by Britons. So you can buy them from the catalogue. But then the, the regiments that weren't represented in the catalogue or the guardsmen lost in the right position, they had to make by... So what they did is, first of all, the costume department made the costumes, the outfits for these regiments. Then they had members of the production team wearing them. And then they were they were sort of 3D scanned. Wow. They printed them in you know, 3D printers, and then they painted them by hand. Hand-painted. Oh, wow. Wow. You need quite a room if you bid and went on on that particular item, right, <laughs> to display that scene. You will. And, and that was a really difficult conversation because, you know, how should we sell it? Because, you know, it's commercially, selling it as one loss is probably not the best. But we just felt it was so much more than how much money it made. It's such an important lot in terms yeah. of the story, the work that went into it. And of course, you know, this incredible representation of, of you know, the, the Queen's funeral. That's why we've kept it together. Yeah, absolutely. Well, 
we want to ask you, how were the pieces for the auction selected? I know there's such a huge range. You mentioned the Gold State Coach. There's also so many costumes from the show. But there are items that were probably left on the cutting room floor, as we might say. So how were the pieces actually selected? So that was really tough. And we spent six weeks at Elstree. When I say tough, it was also huge fun. So uh, yeah. <laughs> Elstree Studios is, is huge. It's absolutely ginormous. I've never been before. It's just, you know, this is you know, a new experience for me. And so over six seasons, of course, you know, they've collected a huge amount of stuff, whether it be costume sets or furniture to decorate the sets. So we first of all, we, we had a live auction in mind. And the live auction, you can only fit a certain amount of items in there because otherwise, you know, an auction can't last more than a day for a start. And we wanted the auction to start no earlier than midday UK time because we want American charts to be able to uh, participate without having to get up too early. The, so we, we thought, right, we'll have 150 lots max in a live sale. And then we'll do an online auction as well. So once we chosen the sort of you know, the, the obvious lots like the Gothic, which as you as you just mentioned, you know Emma Corrins, Jaguar XJS Cabriolet, the the sentry boxes, these amazing, perfectly built sentry boxes that flag the gates of the Buckingham Palace set, and then of course you know, the Buckingham Palace gates on the set. We decided that for a live auction, we wanted all six seasons represented and all the major characters represented. Then we also want to make sure that. We had the expensive lots, but also we had lots of lots that people with any budget could participate mm-hmm. in the auction and, and bid on. So we didn't want to make it some terribly exclusive auction where we were just catering to a few. We wanted to make sure that fans, no matter what their budget was, could take part in the sale. So actually, one of my favorite lots is, and the cheapest lot in, in the online auction and the live auction, is a swizzle stick in the Queen Mother's character prop box. So in, in the L Street, they have all these character prop boxes. So each character has a prop box. And, and in those prop boxes will be lot items that they'll use continuously throughout the, you know, the, the seasons. So that there is a continuation of the same pen that Dominic West uses, for example. Or, and, and in this character prop box is a swizzle stick. Mm. But it's a little silver stick. And it, you sort of put it and it sort of has a sort of propelling forks that come out. And then you can use it to stir your champagne. Yes, champagne is too bubbly. I don't know if, you know. Oh, my. We all need a swizzle stick. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> and I, I don't know. You, know, you probably come across this as a regular problem. Yeah, right. <laughs> In our fancy lives. So, so next time, you know, your, your champagne is, is too bubbly, you, you just need to pull out your swizzle stick and give it a bit and of a... think sw- of the Queen Mother, yes. I love the little bar set that's included with some of her. I can't remember if it was her Princess Margaret, but it's such a cool, neat set that they have there. Speaking of the prices, though, some of the, the some of these will fetch. Is there an estimation of the total amount the auction will kind of receive or that they'll donate? So we are being careful not to uh, try and speculate on how much this is going to do because one thing about auctions is the only thing certain about an auction is the outcome will be un- is uncertain because auctions are not up to auctioneers to decide how much these items are worth. We've put estimates on, but we can't compare these items to anything that's sold before. So it's not like in our you know, the day-to-day auctions that we have here, you can you have a hockey well. You know, you can compare it to another Hockney, or or you can, you know, and any other artists you can compare with with other other um, item uh, paintings by these artists have, have sold for in recent years. These items are unique, so the estimates you know could well be exceeded. 
there's no reserve on anything in the online auction, so of course, you know, and they could sell absolutely anything until next Wednesday and Thursday. We just would know. I mean, it seems like that's part of the exhilaration, right? And it's a great segue to my next question, which is just that Royal Auctions in general, with these items like Diana's sheep sweater earlier this year, her engagement blouse, they've just been really picking up steam. What do you make of the steady interest in, you know, items from the royal past and the nostalgia that's attached to this particular subject? I think nostalgia, provenance, the, the cult of celebrity, we are fascinated by other people and their lives. And whether it's a royal family or it's, you know, Hollywood superstars, you know, we are drawn to other people and their lives. And, you know, we see that we sold Roger Moore's estate last year. And it was amazing to see what some of the prices, you know, the items went for and what the prices achieved, way, way beyond our expectations. And only because these items belong to Roger Moore. And it was the same when we did Michael Caine's sale back in 2022. And, and people will pay a premium for items that were either owned or used by famous people. Of course, we're not selling things belonging to royalty here. We're selling things belonging to TV royalty. Yes. Um, so it's not quite the same. But The Crown is a show like no other. I think it, it gives fans of both the royal family and fans of you know, popular culture in general a chance to to buy something you know, really, really special. And... Things like you know the revenge dress that Elizabeth to Becky wore. It's not the real revenge dress, of course, but the chances of that coming to market are probably pretty slim. The engagement ring that Emma Corrin wears, it's just costume jewellery. It's not a real sapphire, but it is as close to a real thing as anyone's ever going to get because the real one is never going to come on the market. It's difficult to predict exactly you know, how much the provenance will, in addition to... Um, that people will pay, but but it will be fascinating to see next week. I know. I have my eye on that sweater. You're right that you can't get the original, the one that she wears during the Balmoral test, Emma Corrin. And I feel like it's just incredible to, uh, you know, you could own a replica. It's not the original, but it's close enough. No, and I think it's huge fun as well. I mean, a lot of these things are great talking points. And the other thing about the costumes is, my goodness, they look amazing on mannequins. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, the view here, I wish I could give you a, a, a tour around it. Now <laughs> we do too. Yeah, we'll just fly right over. Yes, <laughs> uh, we'll you've, you've got you've got a week, so um... yes, we've got time. I know, especially we're in the midst of awards season now, and I keep thinking about that with the the show winning so many awards and the actors and actresses winning awards as well. It's just yeah, really incredible. Well, we want to say this particular auction celebrates, of course, a piece of TV history that recently concluded, and it makes us think of similar TV shows where the clothes and the backdrop were such a huge part of the story. For example, Mad Men, Sex in the City. So what can we learn about Peter Morgan's attention to detail with this series upon viewing the exhibition? Great question. I think when you come to exhibition, you'll be blown away by the level of detail that's gone into the sets, furniture. The St. Edward's chair, there's a full replica of St. Edward's chair that the should throw. An amazing attention to detail has gone into it. And when you look at it, you only see the front and the side in the, in the show. Back, all the work's gone into the back, all the gothic arch. And it's amazing the amount of detail. You know, when you look at the set for Downing Street, you know, the, the railings, they're all wrought iron. It's, you know, everything is, was done by the construction department as if, you know, it, it was going to be there forever. And I think that, you know, people will probably not realize just how much detail goes into these sets. And 
I certainly do it. I imagine there's an awful lot more CGI goes into uh, into the making of these shows. But actually, you know, the, the attention to detail, one of my favorite things was discovering that the stamps in all the letters actually had the actress's face in profile. Oh, wow. So it would be Claire Foy or Olivia Colman or Mel Staunton. And it's that level of detail is just incredible. Now, do you have any thoughts on where these storied items might end up? Gosh, I mean, we've had so much interest from everywhere around the world. It's really difficult to to pinpoint anywhere in particular where I think most of the buyers are going to come from. We've had a lot of interest from the US. Rightly so, right? And actually Canada, but also massive interest from Australasia, from the Far East to Middle East, Europe, Germany. Germany's turned out to be a huge, huge fans as well. So it's it's really interesting. And I've I've loved talking to, you know, we've had this exhibition open now since the beginning of January. I've loved talking to the fans because everyone is so enthusiastic about the show, about the items. As I said, it's it, it's going to be really sad when when this this sale is over. I'm going to have to pick myself up and you know move on to the next one. I know. Do you have any tips for bidders in these final days? Bidding at auction is huge fun. There's loads of different ways you can bid. I mean, obviously, live in the room with a paddle is is the uh, you know probably the, the most exciting. I would say because I would auction it. But if you can't get to the sale room in person, there's massive other ways. You can book a telephone line, which is also really far because you can hear the auction. You can bid online, all the sales are live streamed, and you can you can bid by clicking a button, which of course is, is, is very exciting as well. My top tip if you are going to bid is have an amount in mind. Don't forget, there's buyer's premium to pay. There's VAT on top of the buyer's premium. Obviously, if you can ship it back to America, you can claim that back when there but you've also got to pay for shipping so just remember all those additional costs and have that amount in mind and then try and stick to it so basically we need to budget make sure we're very clear <laughs> ahead of don't let our easy. impulses get away from <laughs> take us away especially when you're um when, you, when you're bidding online you're just very easy to press that button one more time great advice charlie really good advice <laughs> you have me me looking down you know the camera again go on one more just one more you might just get one it. more we can get it <laughs> we have our eye on some things so we'll we'll talk after this charlie excellent all right last and most important question perhaps do you have a favorite episode of the crown oh i can't lose I think my favorite episode actually is season six, and it's the Ritz. Oh, yeah. I loved the way throughout the whole, all six seasons, I loved the relationship between Margaret and Elizabeth. That moment in one VE day when they sneak out of Bucky Palace and they go to the Ritz, I think it's beautifully done. It's, yeah, I mean, it just, I, I thought that was, that was a, a very, very touching moment. Loved relationship between Matt Smith and Claire Foy. I thought gossip chemistry between them was just brilliant. Loved, you know, the Queen Mother was fantastic throughout. Yeah, I mean, it's been such a special show. And it's such a privilege for us to have been entrusted to sell all these amazing costumes and props and sets. It's so hard to choose just one episode, but that's a good one. I love the flashbacks. We couldn't agree more with your choice. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Charlie. We are so thrilled that we could have you on. And for our listeners, the in-person auction is February 7th, next week in London. That's correct. Next Wednesday. And and all live streamed, so you can log on and hang out and uh, see you there. I think we have to tune in to watch this live auction, Roberta. We have to 
just guard our hands so we don't tap and, and bid, like you said, budget, budget. <laughs> thousands and thousands of dollars on accident. No, I am going to go on the site right after this and look and see if there's anything within my price stick? range. Yeah, there's <laughs> nothing within my price range. Who am I kidding? It's time for the Royal Highs and Lows. Before we adjourn the Royal Pod, our highs and lows. My low this week is just that there's more light shed on the Bashir panorama controversy, and it is not a good look. The BBC, under the Freedom of Information request, has just released 3,000 secret emails relating to the panorama interview. In those emails, Bashir claims that professional jealousy and racism are what motivated the internal investigation by the BBC into how he secured the panorama interview with Princess Diana in 1995. These emails are as recent as like 2020, 2021. So he was really still deflecting. But we did find out definitively in 2021 that those forged documents from Bashir are actually what led to the interview. Bashir was still defending himself, accusing, you know, other employees of jealousy. He kind of even said if if Jonathan Dimbleby had done it, people wouldn't be this up in arms, like trying to really just pretend that the forgery never occurred. So it's just it's all sad. And I wonder if these emails will shed light on anything else. It's, they just came out. So we don't have a lot about them so far. But yes, stay absolutely. Tuned. My low is Dominic West. Poor Dominic West talking to BBC Radio 4 about how he had to spend two days in bed after reading the reaction to crowd reviews. Like he was taking it what? all in. He said he reads the reviews and he talks about just it was so hard. It made me think about how often we just said over and over, he's just too pretty. He's just too pretty. And I was like, okay, oh. but that's like a compliment. It's a compliment, right? I mean, I'm not saying he that got, that's he's what he saying reacted that season to. Season six got bad reviews. Just no, any commentary on his performance, which I'm oh. believing is like related to, <laughs> to, you know, his like any criticism basically that he had to kind of log off for a bit just to recover from that feedback. I don't know. I just feel like Dominic West, we do love you. And I will shout out that you are in a play right now in the West End of View from the Bridge. I'm talking as though he's listening, but we do love you. And you did a great job as I want to go see that play. That sounds great. I know. My high this week is that Queen Elizabeth's Range Rover is up for sale. If anyone has any extra, uh, actually $285,000 lying around to be precise, this feels kind of appropriate with all of our auction talk this week. But the Range Rover is a 2016. It has 18,000 miles. It's navy blue. It's gorgeous. Stunning. It was used to transport the Obamas during their visit in 2016, and it does have a few vestiges of its old royal life. It has special grab handles in the back for the queen. There's a sticker where the button used to be for the royal siren. The the royal siren's not there anymore. They've kind of retrofitted it back to its original state, but there's some vestiges left. So very cool car. Wow. That sounds awesome. We would love to drive around that in that. Uh, my high, I'm bringing it back to Camilla's cape coat that she wore upon the exit from the London Clinic. I just thought it looked so chic and it made me think of when she was in Versailles. I like her kind of experimenting, sartorially speaking, and I think she does it at the right moment. And I, you know, I know it's taking a little bit of a risk for her. So it makes me happy to see it. Me too. Just a reminder before we close, leave us a royal rating. We would love a five-star review. Here is a new one that says, I love how you're not partial to any royal. We need more people like you. I enjoy the updates. Praying for Kate and King Charles with the praying hands emoji. Thank you so much. Hopefully we will get some new reviews. We love them. Please keep them coming. Reminders to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast. And till next week, God, God save, save the pod. pod. 
Her Majesties of Royally Obsessed have retired for this episode. God save the pod. And if you fancy the podcast, give Royally Obsessed the royal rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Royally Obsessed Podcast and join our Facebook group, Royally Obsessed. Royally Obsessed is a gallery podcast production.